morning, everyone. And we're going to, um, this morning, continue our series uh, looking at John's Gospel. And we've got to John's Gospel, chapter 19. And we're reading from verse 16. John's Gospel, chapter 19, reading from verse 16, the crucifixion. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to a place called the place of the skull in Hebrew Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. When the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from king of the Jews to he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So he said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled what the scripture says, they divided my garments among them and they threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross, there was Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple, he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. He then bowed his head and released his spirit. Before we turn to God's word to look at that this morning, please watch the screens. We cannot let him go on like this. He'll destroy everything we've worked for. Whether this man is a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind, but now I can see. Why didn't you obey your orders and arrest him? Because no one ever spoke the way this man does. What charges are you bringing against this man? He's a blasphemer and a criminal. Crucify him. Why? What evil has this man committed? Crucify him. Give them what they want. A crown of thorns for the king of the Jews. <laughs> Stretch him out. How can he save others when he can't even save himself? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Please, God, don't take my son, please. He's dead. Get him down. Let me take the body. Please, he, he needs a proper burial. He wasn't the savior we thought he was. What now? It's over.
that video clip was just a, a snippet of, of some of what people said uh, about Jesus as he journeyed to the cross and as he was nailed on the cross. And there's no doubt, we, we know as, as we look at the life and as we look at the ministry of Jesus, he divided opinion. You know, a lot of people were confused about who he actually was. Some were convinced he was a con man. Others thought he was demonic. But yet many were convinced that actually Jesus said who he, said, he was, who he said he was, the Messiah, the only Son of God. Jesus divided opinion. And I suppose that confusion, that varied opinion of Jesus, that apathy, that hostility towards Jesus, actually hasn't really changed over the centuries. What was going on at, at the foot of the cross, in many ways, still happens today. While many of us here this morning very much believe in Jesus, believe in him that much that we've actually trusted our lives to him, others, well, we're not so sure, are we? We're not so convinced, at least not convinced enough to actually hand our lives over to him. And really this morning, a 20-minute sermon, you probably like that, it's got to be 20 minutes, a 20-minute sermon really won't change that, at least not by itself. So this morning, as we look at a very, very familiar passage to us, very, very familiar, very familiar story, I want to focus on two people, two people who are central to this well-known story of the cross. First one shouldn't surprise you, Jesus You know, we looked at what others said about Jesus, but let's take a few moments to, to just look at Jesus' final moments and final words on the cross. That, you know, that this passage opens, uh, and Jesus has been led away to the cross. The trial is over, fixed as it was. The judgment has been passed, and that's crucifixion. You know, a horrible, painful, agonizing, slow death. You know, Crucifixion sometimes, it could be two days before you would die. The Romans, it was their way of putting it out there. Don't come against us. Don't rebel against us. This is what will happen. It's as much a statement as getting rid of someone. It was a cruel, agonizing death. So Jesus is led away and he has to carry his own cross. He's then nailed to it in the middle of two criminals. And the sign is posted above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Of course, the religious leaders, they protest. We're told the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, change it from the King of the Jews, who he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. Finally, Pilate actually seems to have a bit of backbone. The religious leaders have, have got their way Jesus has been put to death, but they're still not satisfied. And you know, to many, looking on, it probably was just another crucifixion. This is what the Romans did. It was familiar. Granted, this guy was, they had now put on the cross, wasn't your normal run-of-the-mill criminal. He was someone who lots of people loved. Yes, some hated but lots of people loved. And the truth was that nobody actually could find any wrong in him. But nevertheless, here he is, nailed to a cross. And in the middle of all this, 
in the middle of their religious leaders protesting, the guards, you know, drawing lots for, for Jesus' clothes, the band of curious onlookers looking on with all their different views. In the midst of all that, there's a mother standing, watching her son suffer and die on a cross. I wonder, was her mind going back to over 30 years before when she brought the little baby Jesus to Simeon? We're told and Luke 2, then Simeon blessed him and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And Mary, a sword will pierce your very soul. You know, is this very human act of cruelty, of deception, of brokenness, and of heart hurt? Is this going on? in a sense, in the, in the normal physical world, something greater is taking place. Something greater is happening. See, in reality, as we know, as these people stood at the foot of the cross, they all had their different parts to play in the story. What was happening was God's salvation plan. God's salvation salvation plan for the world was unfolding before their very eyes and actually they didn't know it they were unaware see everything was about to change wasn't it a door to eternity was about to open a door to the the presence of God was going to be open before them you know, as Jesus uttered his final words on the cross, he gives insight to this. Then Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill Scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put it on a hyssop branch, and they held it up to his lips. Jesus cries out, I am thirsty. You know, some standing at, that, at the foot of the cross must have thought, that's just really ironic for him to be saying that. Is this not the one who said, living, come to me and you'll get living water. Come to me and you will never thirst again. And here he is saying he is now thirsty. Quite ironic. However, Jesus was fulfilling what had been said about him hundreds of years before. He was fulfilling prophecy. The whole journey to the cross is fulfilling prophecy. And when he said, I am thirsty, he was fulfilling a prophecy from Psalm 69 about the suffering Savior. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. His earthly life was over. But that wasn't what Jesus was talking about when he said, it is finished. God's plan, God's salvation plan, God's redemption plan had been accomplished. Jesus had accomplished what he'd come to do. 
You know, the sin that, that, that has broken our relationship with God in the Garden of Eden had now been dealt with. The terrible gap that come between us and God because of our, our disobedience, our sin, our waywardness, our, our lies, our deceitfulness, our, our brokenness. That great divide between us and God that we by ourselves find it impossible to cross had been bridged. See, the reality this morning is that we all sin, each and every one of us, everyone in this place, from the front to the back, we all sin. And we all do what, what I've just mentioned. You might think, well, I'm not so sure and all that. Actually, we all do it. See, sin captures us and, and, and sin controls us. Actually, sin shapes our lives. It blinds us to a God who loves us, a God who has good plans and purposes for us, a God who longs that we would walk with him in this world, but not only that, that we would walk with him right into eternity. No sin's origin is Satan, the great deceiver, whose punishment is in the eternal fire of hell. That's what awaits him. But not only does sin blind us, it stops us coming near to God. In fact, sin takes us away from God. So how can we who are sin dwell with God? Well, the solution we know is the cross. The one who never sinned, God, came in the person of Jesus in human flesh. He took our sin on himself. And his righteousness, his sinlessness is passed on to us. And that's the reason for the cross. You see, when Jesus cried, it is finished, sin was dealt with. Satan and his plans to take us away from God, not only in this world, but actually in the eternity, was destroyed. Heaven was opened to each and every one of us who would believe, but more and believe, each and every one of us who would trust. Nothing more is needed. We are reconciled to God. Our salvation is sure. Our sin is dealt with. It is finished. So that's Jesus. Then there's the other person I want to look at. And the other person I want to focus on this morning is you or me. When I say you, I'm talking about me too. I know we weren't there. However, your sin, my sin, took Jesus to the cross. You know, when he walked up that hill carrying the cross, he was thinking of you. As the nails were driven into his hand, he was thinking of you. As he cried, it, was, it is finished, he was thinking of you. And while us in here or people out there, we mightn't really think that much about God or care that much about God, God is always thinking about us. He's always thinking about you. We read in Jeremiah 1, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. An eye-opener for Jeremiah, and it should be an eye-opener for each and every one of us. 
God knows us from our, our very conception. And the psalmist discovers this also in Psalm 71. Yes, you have been with me from birth, from my mother's womb. You have cared for me. You know, we're told, aren't we, that he even knows the number of hairs on our head. It's not really amazing. We can hide nothing from God. And this morning, whether we acknowledge God or not, whether we believe in God or not, whether we're prepared to give our lives to him or not, he knows everything about us and has already given his life for us. Most of us, if not all of us, I'm sure you believe in that and you believe what I've said. If not, I'm not quite sure why you're here. But you believe at least to some degree. But I wonder, are there some of us that we try to convince ourselves that believing is enough, that maybe coming to church is enough, that praying occasionally is enough, that will see me through, that will see me through this life and will see me right in eternity. Or maybe for some of us, we know that actually won't do, but we've decided that someday, someday, when it suits us, we will give our lives to Jesus, but not now. As I finish this morning, I'm going to do something I've done every time I've preached in John's gospel over this series. If any of you can remember, you know what I'm going to do next. If you can't, why did you not remember? Anyway, I finish with questions. I've always asked questions. I'm going to ask you two questions this morning. And I want you to truthfully, in your head, answer these two questions. First one, do you feel there's more to life than what you already have? Do you feel there's more to life than what you already have? Know that you're missing out on something or something is missing in your life and they're two different things, I suppose. Do you feel there's more to life than what you already have? What's your answer to that, I wonder? Yes or no? Probably if you, you set aside the context of which I'm actually asking it now in church and, you know, the answer is always Jesus. But set that aside for a moment, you're probably thinking, well, what would come in? Money? If I had more money, maybe that's, that's maybe missing out. Maybe there's, there's broken relationships and if, you know, if them relationships were right, that's what's missing in my life. Maybe there's children missing in my life. Maybe there's parents missing in my life. What's missing? In your life, how would you answer that? See, Jesus said, then I have come that you will have life and life in all its fullness. In other words, in other words, if you want the fullness of life, if you want to be all that you were created to be, I am it. Jesus said, I have come that you will have life and life in all its fullness. A life in all its fullness means a life where God the Holy Spirit dwells within you. A life in all its fullness means that, that you can know the presence and the peace of God in all and every situation. A life in all its fullness doesn't mean that life's always going to be great. It doesn't mean that, that the hardships of life, the difficulty of life, the pain of life isn't going to invade your life. But it does mean that the presence and the peace of God is always there. 
A life in all its fullness is a life where the power of God flows through every aspect of your being. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that was able to make the sick become well, flows through your every being. A life in all its fullness is a life where the voice of God and His miraculous nature is a familiar and welcome intrusion into all you do and all who you are. A life and life in all its fullness is a life given by God's love and grace that has a purpose and has a plan. You know, we read in Ephesians 2, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I wonder this morning, do you see yourself as God's masterpiece? Is that how you see yourself this morning? Not how the world sees you, but how God sees you. That he's created you not actually long ago he set in place plans and purposes for you. So do you feel there's more to this life than what you already have? Then secondly, do you fear death? Do you fear death? Be honest about it this morning. See, not only does Jesus offer us life today in all its fullness, he offers us much more. He offers us eternity in all its fullness. Some very, very well-known words from John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready... I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. Great words of truth, words of promise, words of assurance, words of love from this Jesus who hung on the cross. You know, as Jesus was on the cross and he exclaimed, it is finished. He had accomplished for each and every one of us a life that will be free from sin. Sin that, that destroys us and destroys our relationship and destroys those around us. But also freedom from its master, Satan. And more than that, life eternal with a Father God who loves us and sent his Son to save us. And he freed us from the fear of death and replaced it with assurance of life beyond the grave. Folks, this morning we can't live life in all its fullness. We have no hope of living life in all its fullness. A life of freedom without Jesus, we can't do it. And we cannot overcome the fear of death and the consequences of death without him. Yet with him, with sins forgiven, 
with a new life in this world, we also have a new life in eternity. Please stand.